Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more Hi, everybody. If you don't know me, my name's Britt. Uh, If you're a guest uh, and you're joining us online or by podcast, I just want to say welcome to you. I'm honored that you're joining us today, and I'm hopeful that what I talk about will help you either discover faith, maybe for the first time, or deepen your relationship with God. I want to invite you to our one big service where we gather outdoors on Sundays at 1030 in the morning. And if you come, say hello to me. And of course, to all who call Sunridge family, but you couldn't be with us this week. Maybe you just couldn't make it or it's raining, which is a possibility today, or you're just not ready to be in crowds because of COVID. We want you to know that we miss you and we're looking forward to being together with you again. Uh, one of those people, or actually two, that I'm thinking of today is Holly and Steve, and you know who you are, but many of you don't know Holly. She is my copy editor, so anytime you read something that I've written and you think, man, that, that sounds a lot smarter than what I know Brit to be, that is Holly. So uh, Holly and Steve, we miss you guys, and uh, you, like so many other Sunridgians, we know that you're waiting for that moment where it's safe for us to be together. And we just want you to know that we're looking forward to that as much as you are. Uh, We are studying the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter seven, and has been been our, uh, our tradition through this teaching. We are reading the passage and then breaking it down. So Matthew seven, verse seven. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Obviously, Jesus here is talking about prayer, but this section of his teachings is about a lot more than prayer, right? It's about who God is. And here Jesus depicts God is not not as a detached super being who's uninterested or holding out on us, but as a parent who, because they love and adore their children, wants wants to give us all good things. So before we jump into kind of some responses and talking about how this all ties together in our world today with us, let's do a little exegesis, which is just to explain the text first, and then we'll draw a few conclusions. First of all, like think about what prayer was like in Jesus's day. Jesus's listeners are 
praying people. It's part of their daily routine. It's ritualized. It's formalized. They do it at temple. They do it as part of their just day-to-day observance of, um, of their religion. And Psalms in your Old Testament is their book of prayers. And according to scholars, most young Hebrew children had the entire book of Psalms memorized, which may be why it's the most often cited book in the New Testament. So prayer to Jesus's audience, they're, they're very familiar with this concept. And, but here Jesus is going to tweak it. He's going to take it from ritual to relationship and from a process to get things I want to a person. So Jesus says, first of all, just a couple of things about prayer that I want to bring out. Number one, and this is in your notes, he says we should ask. That's pretty simple, but in verse 7, he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This phrase has become an aphorism in uh, in American culture. I mean, even if you don't go to church, you've probably heard that phrase before, whoever asks receives. If you seek, you will find. When you knock, the door will be opened unto you. So it's just part of our culture today. It's also a nifty acronym. If you think about it, ask, seek, knock, those as an acronym, that can be ask, A-S-K, Uh, that's some preacher stuff. We get into these kind of things. You may say, well, that doesn't really matter to me. I don't know. But it's also a command. Jesus says, ask. And he gives three depictions of what is known as petitionary prayer. That is to request or to ask. He says to ask, to seek, to knock. And these are all ways of requesting things and all involve doing so without hesitation. We should ask. Number two, Jesus says, if we ask, something happens. In verse eight, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says there's always a response. Is Jesus saying every time I pray, I'll get what I ask for, like God is like a magic genie, and if we rub it, rub the lantern, we get our wish, or he's like a slot machine, we can pull the handle. I've definitely, and I've definitely have heard it taught that way, and maybe you have as well, but I think if we're honest, theology and our own personal experience tells us differently than that. One thing we do know is that not asking assures that nothing will happen. That's what James says in chapter four, verse two, you do not have because you do not ask God. And it makes you wonder, what are the things that we don't have because we've never asked God? In response to his critics who said answers to prayer are more coincidences than anything else, Anglican priest William Temple said this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. That's a good one, isn't it? Now here, the image that Jesus is giving us is he's connecting his teaching in a way that shapes our understanding hugely. He's not just talking about prayer per se, but the nature of prayer and our relationship with God in that. And that is the main point of this section. 
In chapter six, Jesus has already taught us how to pray, but here he gives us the meaning of what it, what it means to pray. And it's a contextual image. It's a picture. Jesus is going to tell us something that should, that we need to know about who God is. And in verse nine, he turns from talking about prayer, in which he says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will, he, will you give him a snake? If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Let me just stop right there. Who is Jesus talking about here? He was talking about prayer. Who is he talking about now? He's talking about them. And the picture he gives, how much will your, will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him is he's saying the picture here in prayer is a child asking for food from a parent. This is one of the things that I love about the teachings of Jesus, how he boils concepts down and makes them simple. He takes simple scenarios from people's everyday lives. He, he takes images, he tells parables or stories, or he gives an illustration to understand, to help us understand the complex or the ununderstandable like prayer. And here Jesus says, if, if your child asked you for food that they need, obviously, of course you would give them food. And of course you would never give your child a rock instead of bread or a snake instead of fish, unless you're part of a Jimmy Kimmel Christmas video. See, as a parent, you would never knowingly give your child something that would harm them. And that's one of the things that I think kind of bubbles to the surface in this section where Jesus is talking about prayer. That is the topic, but he's really talking about God. Number one, he says, prayer is something that can be understood through the eyes of a parent. You can see that, I'm sure. If you're a parent, you know your kids ask you for stuff. It's, in fact, it, it's probably part of your daily routine all day. And you may be in that phase where it seems like all they do is ask. I want to bring you some comfort. It only lasts like about 20 years. They will keep asking even as they grow older, but eventually they'll simultaneously tell you how independent they are. I'm just saying. But when they're little, all they do is ask. They're completely dependent upon you. And if you want any space in your life, you have to get up early or close the door. Uh, even if you close the door, eventually you see the fingers come underneath the door bottom there, uh, kind of like some scary movie where a claw or like in signs when that green hand comes underneath with the long fingernails, really creepy, only they're not green, long fingers that come under the door. They're little chubby ones. Even for me with my grandkids, one of the things that when they're all of them that were younger, some are still like one of the most cherished moments for me is to get up early in the morning and await their awakening. And when they come out, they want to snuggle with Grampy and I get the blanket and a pillow. 
And that's the part that I love the most. And I just try to sit as still as possible and not disrupt the moment. It is never long enough, but pretty soon they start with their requests. They want to watch cartoons. Can you turn those on? They want breakfast. They want to get out the toys, a lot of them. In fact, it seems like we don't have enough toys out until the entire living room floor is covered with toys. Can I get an amen on that from all of our grandparents or even parents? And here's what Jesus says. He says, look, you're a parent. You know how this works. You love your kids, but you also know that you're pretty messed up. And we have this instinct to give our children what they need, but how much more so God? God is like a parent, only the perfect kind. He is our heavenly father, and he doesn't have the baggage that we have. He's not, he's not selfish or self-centered. He hasn't had a poor modeling uh, template to grow up. He hasn't gone through abuse like so many of us had. A note here, you don't have to have been a parent to fully grasp this. Some of you are uncles or aunties or your best friends have kids. And uh, you're probably most in tune with this if you're a grandparent right now. But we all get it. The key point here isn't on the eloquence or our knowledge and how we pray. It's that God is like a parent, just like many of you are. Now, secondly, Jesus, and kind of continuing this thought, we see that prayer or asking, that's what it really is, is what happens in a relationship. When we're in relationship, we ask. Think about the human relationships that we have. This is Jesus helping us understand how prayer works, but even more so understanding God. Asking things of one another isn't just an indication that we're in a relationship. It is relationship. It's a sign that a relationship is healthy and thriving. That the fact that we ask one another things is an indication and part of being in relationship. Think of how weird it is when someone comes up to you at a gas station or whatever, and they ask you for money and you don't have a relationship with them. It's probably happened to all of you who are listening or watching right now. And it's weird. It's, it's weird. It's uncomfortable. And for both of us, for both people involved in that. Because in a healthy relationship, there is constant asking and giving and receiving. But in an unhealthy relationship, there is constant demanding and taking and scorekeeping. And the status of our relationship can often be measured by whether we're in an asking mode or a demanding mode. Isn't that true? Because when we're asking, when we're in that asking mode, we are acknowledging that that other person is a person. They could say no. They may see things differently. But when we begin to demand in that relationship, it intrudes upon the freedom that they have as a human being. Now I've heard about how some people fight in their marriage. You know, this is not something that I've ever experienced because I'm a pastor, right? But let me ask those of you who have experience in this, maybe you could help me out to understand this. When you're in a fight with your spouse, do you ask each other things? I mean, not just like ask you to leave, 
What's the first thing to go when we're in a conflict? Asking, right? We go into demand mode. And in relationships that are characterized by demanding, everyone is in a, this tug of war for their own purposes and for control. That's what James is talking about in his letter, chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. You kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now, what is James talking about here? He's talking about fighting, yes. He's talking about how it works in a human relationship, but notice how he flips it to talking about prayer. He goes on. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James here is saying that the reason we fight is because we want what we want. We're selfish. We're self-centered. But then look at what he says about their prayers or their prayer life. It's the same thing. I want what I want. And I'm not really interested in a relationship, so I demand. I want these things for me. Our quarrels come from wanting people to do what we want them to do, to think like us, to do what I do. And here's a relationship tip, by the way. Relationships are about asking. The, you know, you have those people in your life that they never have a question for you, but they have a stack of demands. They tell you how things are, but they never ask how things are. See, prayer is a relational event. Prayer is evidence that there is a connection between us and God. And when we're asking in prayer, we are acknowledging that God can either say yes or no, or maybe even wait. And it acknowledges that we are in a partnership with God. Now, I'm not trying to pile guilt on you when it comes to prayer, because prayer gives us plenty of opportunity to feel guilty. Quite the opposite. What I'm saying is that this is such a healthy way to think about prayer. Because it personalizes how we view prayer. It moves prayer from our brain with verses and doctrines and theologies. It, it transfers it from there to our heart and to our gut. And sometimes we want the Bible to be kind of like a policy manual. And when it comes to prayer, we just say, well, give me the standard operating procedures for prayer. I mean, how do I get it done? How many times a day do I pray? What time should I pray? If I'm not really praying correctly, what's the enforcement of that? And what would be the disciplinary actions? That's how we think about the Bible sometimes, especially when it comes to prayer. But instead, Jesus is pointing out that we're in a relationship with God. And asking or prayer is an indication or an indicator of that relationship. In fact, as I've said, it is relationship. And this may be the main reason why most of us feel that we pray so little. Could it be 
that if we're truly honest with ourselves, we're not that interested in our relationship with God. He's not really a part of our lives. So often our prayers are void of relationship. A prayer void of relationship is a transactional prayer. We wouldn't say it like this, but this is what it boils down to. I've done some stuff for you, and now it's your turn to do some stuff for me. But when we're in a relationship, we do things together, right? That's why I love this quote from The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard. He says that prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. So often, here at Sunders, we talk about how we are working hand in hand with what God is doing in the world today. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how we are, we have been reconciled by God and we are, we have been given the same ministry, the same act to do to reconcile the world. We talk about how when, when God made man and woman, Adam and Eve, his creative effort brings them to a point where he hands over what he has been doing, creating and creating a place, earth, where people can flourish. And he says, continue that work. Jesus, is, Jesus prayed in chapter six as he taught his disciples how to pray. He said, we're to bring heaven to earth. And so as Christ followers, we are seeking to see Christ formed in us for God's glory, for the abundance of others, and for the sake of others. That takes a partnership. It's a partnership with God for us to, to have Jesus bring abundant life to ourselves, for Christ to be formed in, in us, but, in, but also obviously we are in a partnership as Christ forms us into his image to do the same in the world for the sake of others. And the question comes down to, am I in that kind of a partnership with God? Am I in that relationship with him? This, this idea changes everything about our pray, prayers. It, it changes what I pray about. It changes how I pray about it. And it affects whether I pray at all. Last, kind of continuing this idea, prayer is grounded in our belief about God. That's where we've been heading the whole time in this conversation. Verse 11, Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask them? I wonder why Jesus feels the need to say this after verses 7 and 8, where he just said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and, you'll be, and it will be open to you. Why does he have to remind us that our heavenly father desires to give good gifts to us. Well, when is a relationship most tested? Mainly relationships are tested when we hear no. Every friendship and certainly every romance goes through an infatuation stage. And that stage is when uh, we are the perfect friend. 
or the perfect mate or the other person is as well. And there's no demands that we make on our partner or friend. There's no expectations. Everything is yes. But how long does that last? Maybe a month, possibly three months. If you're an extraordinarily serving person, maybe six months. But eventually there's like this reality that we're both in it. And we both have expectations. Sometimes Christians don't make it through the infatuation stage with God. And it's most difficult for us to pray when we feel that we're hearing no. And it's at that juncture, Jesus says, we need to remember who God is. See, prayer is grounded in our belief about God. Scott McKnight, in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, says that we have two temptations when we hear no from God. Number one, we're tempted to figure things out on our own and make it happen without any other consultation with God. Anybody ever done that? And secondly, he says, we're tempted to think that God is distant and uncaring. We've all thought that at times. And I know that every time we teach on prayer, every time you bring up the topic of prayer, it brings up so many questions. And, and probably if you're in a home group where uh, you'll discuss this sermon later, these are the kind of questions that typically boil up or bubble up to the top. Does prayer actually change things? Why doesn't he answer my prayers when clearly what I'm praying for is what he would want? And is he even listening? Is God even hearing my prayers? They feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. But our questions about prayer are really questions about God. See, we tend to have two views of God, two extremes. One, is, one would be that God is kind of like a master chess player. And we're simply the pieces on the board. He makes all the moves. And we're just living out a story that's already been written. There's no choice. There's no autonomy. Everything is predecided. So it really makes no sense to pray other than just to agree with God's plan. And on the other end of the spectrum, some people view God like he's a magic genie. And we get whatever we ask. If we're persistent enough, if we have faith enough, you can get whatever you want. You can get your parking spot, your raise, your tire that's flat can be filled with air. You get the girl, you get the guy, and gold medal ribbon is always in at Baskin Robbins. And when that doesn't happen for us, we feel that God has ripped us off. It's impossible in a message, and it's impossible, I think, humanly to answer every question about prayer, but I think that there's something really significant about the image that Jesus gives us in, under the, con, in the context of prayer. That is that a, we have a heavenly father that loves us. And so what do we know about God? We know that the hairs on our head are numbered. He knows our name. John says that he is love. 
The psalmist says that his mercies never fail, that his love endures forever. And if that is enough, we can always view Jesus through the gospels. And in the end, we realize that we are God's children. Now, love for our own children is truly its own category of love. I mean, would you not do anything for them? I loved my whole life. I still do. I love saying yes to all of my kids for whatever they're asking for, except when they're mean to me. That's when I have a problem. But does a wise and loving parent always give their kids whatever they want? Of course not. That would be a disaster, right? Okay, maybe you give them everything they want when you're in a restaurant and you're trying to keep them quiet, but normally you don't. Because kids don't even have the capacity to know what they need. I mean, did you even, or even now, do you fully understand all the no's that you got from your parents back in the day? See, we don't know enough and our longings are not pure enough for us to get everything we want. So what do we do in a relationship? Do we add up the yeses and nos to determine if someone truly loves us or if the relationship is going to work? Or do we keep stats on our parents in particular? All We just keep a column of yeses and nos to figure out if our parents love us or not. That's ridiculous, right? Maybe a better question than does prayer work is this. Does prayer matter? And the way I would approach that again is like humanly, does it matter that I have the conversation with my spouse, with my child, with my friend, even if that conversation was a gut-wrenching one, an incredibly hard one, even if there was no resolution, there was nothing that they could do. They just looked at you. Their eyes teared up or they sent you texts in reference to it later in the week. Did any of that change the situation? Maybe, maybe it didn't. Probably not. Don't we talk to our parents or our friends or the people that we're in a relationship about things that we know that there's just nothing they can do about it? That's, that's kind of what it means to be in a relationship with God. Right now, I'm in a situation which a dear, dear friend of mine, some of you remember him, Mark Trotter, my best friend growing up. We call him the Trot. Um, He's been here to speak before. We became Christians on the same day. He's one of the most genuine Jesus followers I've ever known in my entire life. And just before COVID, Mark was diagnosed with cancer and he started treatments but recently in the last couple months um, they realized that those treatments really weren't taking hold and then to make a long story short they found cancer everywhere in his body He's just getting released from the hospital today from a brain surgery where they did their best to shrink tumors and take pieces of tumors out so that he wouldn't wouldn't have these incredible headaches. 
Now, like me, you've known people that have had terminal cancer like this, and obviously you pray for them. But honestly, I don't expect it to change for my friend, for the trot. Obviously, I'm still going to pray that God works a miracle, but I've been here so many times, as I'm sure you have, where we know what cancer is going to do. And yet, I'm going to continue to pray for him. Some people would say, well, God already knows the answer to what's going to happen to your friend. And others would say, he's not going to change it. So why would you bother to pray? But what I want you to see here is that Jesus takes the exact opposite approach. He says, yes, God does know. So you should ask. Of course, he wants to talk about it because he's our heavenly father. Does it matter then that we have that conversation with the one who loves us more deeply, more faithfully than any other person or being in the universe? See, Jesus here, I don't think is just saying you should pray more. He's saying, think of who God is and then do what comes most naturally. I know that talking about prayer this way for many of you that are listening or watching resonates with you. You are a Christian and prayer is a part of your daily life. And I, and I hope that some of the things that we've talked about today have connected with you and, and maybe you've learned a few things. But I also know that some of you are listening and you're exploring faith and you have all these questions about who God is. And this talk about prayer has enabled us to just kind of reveal what Jesus said about God. And your questions are like, who is God? And maybe you're just wondering, maybe, maybe God is your last hope. And I want to say to you, even though that you don't understand it all, you should pray. Jesus wants us to see that God is the most loving and incredibly interested being in the universe. And you can offer up a prayer that no one else will hear that might be the first prayer that you've prayed in a long time or ever in your life. And that prayer should be just to acknowledge that he is your heavenly father. And if you do that, if you can just lay yourself out and open yourself up to what God may be doing in your life right now, you'll be starting something that you will never regret. I want to encourage you to go to church or talk to a friend about your questions, about your thoughts, about what you even prayed. And come to a church, Sunridge is a great church, there are many churches in this valley, and begin working out your faith with this new understanding of who God is. Let's pray. God, it is just so hard as a human being for us to know who you are, what you're like. But Jesus gives us such a great picture here. 
something that almost all of us can relate to. How we care for a child, our own child. And we see you, God, as that perfect, loving, heavenly Father. And so, with that picture in mind, we turn ourselves towards you in prayer. And we relinquish ourselves to you to understand you in hopes that our relationship will grow deeper with you. And we'll be able to walk in this world in a way in which we're, we're in relationship with the creator of the universe. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.